This is GSAP Conversations from the Graduate School of Architecture, Planning and Preservation at Columbia University in New York City. I'm Dina Malandraos. Thanks for listening. This is Jorge Otero Pailos, professor and director of the Historic Preservation Program at Columbia University's Graduate School of Architecture, Planning and Preservation. And I'm here with Brennan Gerard and Ryan Kelly, artists who have done a number of works in historic houses and whose work has inspired a lot of our students. So welcome. Thank Thank you. you. It's very nice to have you here. Thank you. I wanted to start by talking a little bit about this notion of the duo and the relationship between two people. A lot of your works explore the nature of relationships, our critiques of our expectations of those kinds of relationships, the heteronormativity. You explore queer relationships. You explore other sorts of uh, relationships between people. But then in your work, there's also a third element which is the house or the historic place. And so I'm very interested in the role of that third Mm. agent. Mm -hmm. And I use the word agent, so it's to not use the word object. Mm. Since you are both agents too, uh, maybe to try to put Mm -hmm. you all on the same plane. Mm -hmm. So is it fair to say that a lot of your work involves a threesome of sorts. <laughs> Would that be fair? There's always a third term. Absolutely. Yes, um, and I think Modern Living really grew out of a series of works in which we were explicitly taking on the couple as a sign, um, what we call like the paradigmatic sign of intimacy. And the couple also is a representation, especially in art, of like you know how two people relate to each other. And and through a series of projects, we were deconstructing this couple. We were expanding the notion of what a couple could mean. And then we got to modern living, and we we were definitely continuing that investigation, but this time in a house. Mm -hmm. And the house for us, as this place that has typically structured these intimate relationships... And so we were starting to think about architecture as kind of choreography for relations, for for our most intimate relations. And then it became this question, so where do you... So we're interested in kind of citing this this inquiry, this ongoing artistic inquiry, in, in a house, in homes. So away from galleries and museums and actually going outside of those spaces into these, you know, ready-made environments and we were thinking well what homes right and then that led us to the modernist canon which is kind of a paradox because the question for us is very contemporary i don't think our artistic project would be possible if there wasn't like the movement for gay marriage if there wasn't already in you know culture this newfound acceptance of the of the couple especially the the gay couple but also a questioning about those like whether or not these models like models of marriage traditional models of the family are working for our lives today like in the very contemporary moment right and that is shared by people who are queer and not queer i think at this time and so what was maybe strange is that we went to the recent past to these modernist homes in order to pose our question. And, and why? 
Why, why the origin? Why was it modern? We chose houses built by the architects who lived in them. And we were interested in how at that time there really was this consciousness about actively transforming their, their lives. So modern, modernism was also this kind of utopian project. You're going to transform the world. Modernism is going to transform architecture. It's a radical break with the past. Right. And many of these practitioners were also doing that, those experiments in their intimate lives. That's especially true of Schindler. Yes. Mm -hmm. For Schindler, for us, it was a very... It was kind of like there was, there was no question we were going to start the investigation there as this model, this house. It was for, a very easy identification, and there was yeah. a very positive relationship to, to the subject of Schindler. Yeah, because... We relate it. Totally, and it was built for two young couples. Artists... Um, Californians. So you identified with, with the house somehow. Yeah, yes. as this also this early experiment in communal mm -hmm. living. Which we um, found interesting because then when we moved to the glass house, which as two gay men we would perhaps be presumed to have a clearer identification with, we felt a sense of difficulty relating to and identifying with the glass house. And I think this is when maybe some of the questions of kind of cracks in the utopian project started to appear to us. Mm -hmm. Tell me more about your difficulty with the glass house. I think the difficulty with the glass house, I mean, and I say it, it's honestly a difficulty because it's both something as an agent that I love, because I don't think we could have made the project without loving Johnson and loving the glass house in some way. But perhaps as with any sibling, any any subject which is too close to you, I was also somewhat repulsed by certain aspects of it. For instance, in the way the closet was activated to produce and protect these queer intimacies was both something that I loved, maybe even longed for, at this very uncloseted moment of contemporaneity. Mm -hmm. But then also, I mean, half the men who hung out there were married, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, living in... in Complete it's a very secrecy. repressed space. Repressed. When you, when you compare repressed. it to the Schindler House, right. like to this, to that experiment, which is thirty years earlier, yeah, right. it's actually like you know, it yeah. feels like entirely Victorian almost yeah. to it go into this glass house. And how do we? What you know? What is driving us from from making those observations? And I think it's really through this act of performing, which is really a reinhabitation of the site. Mm -hmm. And it's only by spending time there with groups of people through structured practices of observation, of movement, of noticing how the house functions at different times of day, that you really start to feel these things, the way that these houses may have been structured to not only be these kind of formal modernist objects, right, or like a, a chess piece in the game <laughs> of architecture, but also in order to house specific kinds of relationships, specific kinds of subjectivities. So do you have to live in the house for a while in order to begin a project? Or how, how do you gain that intimacy with the house? Mm. We inhabit them. We don't necessarily live in them. We didn't spend an overnight in either the Schindler or the Glass House. We did stay for two weeks in a Schindler apartment mm -hmm. in Los Angeles. We did stay for two weeks in Breuer House in Tarrytown, but that ultimately was not a house we felt we could do the project in. But in any case, it is about a kind of time spent intimately 
listening, passing time, noticing, observing the different ways that the environment affects the space. Trying really, I guess, to feel what it felt like to live in the space. Yeah. So there's a sort of moment at which you test whether the house is right for your <laughs> relationship or for your work, mm -hmm. which is very much a relationship. Mm -hmm. And how do, how do you come to the moment where you say, you know, I think it will work or, or, or no? Or are there specific qualities or properties that you say, you know, no, this yeah. does not work? Or Yeah, I mean, I think that... It's as like an, dating. As, yeah, no, it's like... dating these or, houses. But the, or, the, or, the, or, like, or like shopping for a house, too. I mean, this maybe. is... <laughs> well, this is yeah, in, but it's both. You're right, because, you know, the project was really driven by that need in our own lives and our own relationship at the point it was at to find a structure that that matched mm -hmm. and a real life difficulty in finding that i mean there's the financial limitations of course but also it just the kind of paucity of of Alternatives. Mm -hmm. So wait, were you looking for a, did this whole thing? Yeah, did this it, yeah. started as you let's find a house. Yeah, it started in leaving graduate school four uh -huh. years ago, returning to New York to do a show, reluctantly returning to New York, I'd say, from California, where we had been living in our own kind of queer commune situation, which is a whole nother book, mm -hmm. uh, a whole nother podcast. Mm -hmm. um, And coming back to New York, actually, into an apartment that we had inhabited prior to our time in Los Angeles, when we were ro romantically involved as a couple. And we had to cohabitate in this space, really, for financial reasons, to produce like our first solo show in New York. Wow. And it was during that time that we realized, well, this is unsustainable. What's the ideal? Right. So we're both kind of blue sky thinkers, so we're like... What would be the ideal? And then not being architects, right? we realized, oh, you know, that's where like, the project yeah. started to be born out of that necessity. Yeah. And then that interest in, well, other people must have faced this question. Mm -hmm. Th this question of the ideal is very interesting because yeah. you pick uh, suburban homes mm -hmm. to a large extent, right? And those have yes. been identified as the American dream. Mm -hmm. Are you gauging your search mm -hmm. against an ideal? You mentioned an ideal. Mm -hmm. So so I guess, uh, what is that ideal? Right, because see, I, I would almost say it would be that which is against the American dream in uh -huh. some sense. I feel that the criteria that we're seeking is this kind of kinship with now largely dead people who might have in some way, even if they didn't at the time have the term available to them, identify as queer people, as mm -hmm. queer subjects, uh -huh. and who might have been struggling to, to enact queer relations to create queer domestic, a queer domestic habitus, and to figure out, since many of them were architects or, in, in the case of Farnsworth, directly involved in the architectural process, how to build structures to shelter these relations. Yeah. 
And so for us, as we... I think that's yeah. the criterion, is that... That's is the that, criteria. I mean, there is, as an example of a house that really didn't work for us, that we did inhabit and live in for a while, is like Ryan mentioned earlier, this Breuer house that was shown 1948 at MoMA. Philip Johnson actually curated it. It was the House in the Garden series. I think they only did it twice. And it was the idea of a prefabricated suburban house. And what's so, we, what's so ironic about it, too, is that, you know... It ended up being too costly to actually be mass produced, and the Rockefellers bought it and they put it on their estate. And we had a, a residency thanks to Rockefeller Brothers Fund to live there. Um, so that's how we're there. Um, so it's this like weird middle, supposed to be a middle class suburban home, but it's on the estate of the Rockefellers. But by living there, what really clearly didn't work is really structured around the nuclear family, where each zone is really assigned according to gender, gender hierarchy, to rules. The whole house seems to be about the production of children, <laughs> the biological reproduction as a kind of labor. And it was, it was just this like monument, we felt, to heteronormativity. And this house was not going to work for our project. So then it really helped us to do that because it defined, it's not really a project that's all about modernist houses. Like there mm -hmm. are many beautiful, I mean, the Boy House is very beautiful. I'm not denying that. It's, right. it's, it's gorgeous. But it doesn't work for this project. Also, be, also, we couldn't imagine ever living there. So I would say that the, it's where the ideals, maybe this search for queer space, which... I'm not sure what queer space is yet. We're still defining it. Where it meets our own kind of sub subjective experiences is what drives that decision. Mm -hmm. So it's both the ideal and also the lived experience. And it's very much ongoing. Like for us, in terms of moving forward, each house is its own chapter. Kind of like, we like calling it chapters because it is like a novel that we're in the process of writing. Mm -hmm. So we don't know where it's going to be. So there's not really a programmatic, there's not these criterion, right? Right. It's almost like, where is this next place that we could discover? So two questions uh, yeah. that, that, that follow from that. One is this notion of the nomadic mm -hmm. because you sort of going from one to the other to the other right i mean there is the the house the ideal somehow is you settle in it but you sort of moving from one to the other mm -hmm. how how is that affecting the the novel you know mm -hmm. it's it's a novel that in which every chapter is in a different mm -hmm home mm -hmm. or in a different or there's a different agent mm -hmm. so I would imagine that then that also moves the story along mm -hmm. yeah no I mean that the fact that there is a new agent that comes in right. changes somehow your relationship and maybe moves the investigation forward how does that happen? Mm -hmm. how, how, how? I think that's such a keen observation I think the nomadic aspect of our own lives, which perhaps made the project possible, but then is also sustained and produced by the project, is interesting, but I'll bracket that and put it aside to say that there is a nomadism within the project, which is not just us, but also many of the designers and, and perhaps most visibly performers that you begin to see across the different chapters moving through time which will become more pronounced. I mean, you can already see it in Schindler Glass, 
the first film. The film chapters bring two houses together. So the next chapter we're currently in the middle of is Farnsworth Gray, which will once produced have a difference of three years' time between the filming at Schindler and Glass sites and the filming at Farnsworth and Gray. So you start to maybe Gray, you mean uh, in, in France? Yeah, the the Eileen uh, Gray house. Okay, mm -hmm. E ten twenty seven. So I think that this aspect of nomadism and time travel starts to become more pronounced, especially through the medium of, of video, I guess. Is that something you discovered along the way, or did you sort of set out with that in mind? I mean, it's interesting. I don't think we necessarily set that. We, no. we, we always yeah. knew that the work would be in a series and structured as chapters, as most of our works are. And I think that is also to preserve this kind of like un this endlessness and this unfinished Well, that relates to like, most of our work. But this yeah. kind of chapter, no, more no. narrative, even mm -hmm. if in a very expansive understanding of the term, is definitely new to mm -hmm. this project. But the investment in endlessness and infinity, and we've, we've approached it in other projects like timelining and reusable parts, we're very invested in creating systems that would allow for constant replication and renewal. And perhaps that's what this... I, I, I sense that this search has an endpoint, but maybe that's optimistic, wishful thinking, maybe my own <laughs> desire to intervene in the nomadism, to land, because it is a search for a home in some way. Mm -hmm. But then... But I think it's also reflective of of a very contemporary condition. Yeah, of, but not one that we necessarily wish to, you know, give in to. Exactly, but it is. I mean, there is this condition. I mean, you can see it now in, like, these kind of pod-like living spaces, especially in cities, of people, especially our, our generation and younger, of actually living very nomadic so, lives. So I, yeah. I want to ask you a little bit more about this, because, yeah. you know, it, it has been historically so difficult for queer communities mm. to find a place to mm. settle down in. Mm. Mm -hmm. And so there's a kind of forced nomadism, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, a kind of forced push to other places or to keep moving or, mm -hmm. you know, keep, keep, keep walking. Mm -hmm. So how do you see that tension? Because on the one hand, you began by telling uh, you know, us that, mm -hmm. that there's more acceptance now, that there's more... You know, less shocking, or there. And when I and when you say acceptance, maybe there's less. There, there's a cultural moment where there's less resistance. But then, there's something about your project which suggests mm -hmm. that it's actually not that easy mm -hmm. somehow. Yeah, yeah. I understood what you said because it did strike me at first too. But I understood what you said as like the condition of acceptance of enduring monogamous gay coupledom within a framework of heteronormativity actually produces more urgency for the queer project of disrupting that heteronormative structure, mm -hmm. system of thought. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That, that it really hit at a moment when it was like, okay, well, do we, you know, join marriage in the military or do we persist? I mean, I can actually remember that very clearly as a division in social groups. It's like, right. of course we want, you know alternatives to marriage, other forms of partnership that can be recognized by the state. But we're not going to fight for that now. We'll get to that later mm -hmm. once we get this marriage thing through. But of course, that later 
never comes. That's how I understood what you were saying, that it, that, that acceptance of gay marriage actually produced even more pressure on queer life to articulate itself. So is there a, um, a, an activism in mm. the work? Do you see it as activist work of sorts? Um, mm. I do. I think it is. I'm going to say no. <laughs> no, you were going to say no. I mean, it's interesting. Following that yeah. statement, no. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, I mean, I think that part of, this goes back to your question of, of nomadism and this kind of like, I mean, it's interesting because there, there is a logic in the work where we don't leave a trace. Like we're traveling mm-hmm. through these places where we're not leaving traces. And there is this, I think, if you think of activism as kind of activating, it's not just activating these, these modernist homes, I mean, through performance. That is something we're doing. That is a fact. But it's also about activating these temporary constellations of communities mm-hmm. and opening up the spaces to viewpoints, different viewpoints, feminist viewpoints, queer viewpoints that are not normally part of the narrative or the symbol or the whole representation of those spaces. Mm -hmm. And we temporarily do that. And so I think it is activist. I think that activational seems like a better Yeah, maybe that's a different way of thinking about it. I mean but I also think that this idea of of I think you're getting to the heart of the project, and I think it's a conundrum in it, in it this idea of permanence. Mm-hmm. Like, So we're structuring a project that is really impermanent, even though the project itself, it, it seems to keep going, but it's, it's you know, by being performance-based, we are making these films, it's true, but there is this kind of built-in impermanence by, in this nomadism. Mm-hmm. And but it, paradoxically, we're doing it in homes, which are thought of as more like settling down, but also within architecture, which is conventionally thought of as permanent, like buildings right. are supposed to stand time. Right. But we also know that they don't, that they're always decaying, right. and they're always weathering, and that's just like bodies and relationships and ideas, they have a life cycle. And I think that there is a part of this work that we're doing where it's like we're also going back to these places which maybe they might be historical models that could not like maybe the Schindler house couldn't it only lasted for two years this communal experiment in living because maybe it was ahead of its time and only now could that architecture actually be inhabited that would be like a positive way of thinking of it or maybe we're looking at these houses at the very moment that they're passing into kind of obsolescence and tr- trying not to own them or hold them in place as static objects, mm. but take what we can from them in order to construct something new, which we're still not sure what, where that's going to be, right? It's very you interesting the, the way you present it yeah. because, I mean, if I think back of, mm-hmm. you know, about the beginning of the project, which had to do with finding a home, yeah. the way you described it now was trying not to own them yeah. is sort of almost letting go of the idea mm-hmm. of owning mm-hmm. a home mm-hmm. or finding a home, or finding the perfect home. Mm-hmm. So, 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 so there's a kind of way in which, uh, the way you've described yeah. it, the... the the project is helping to unravel, perhaps this is the critical dimension of the project, mm-hmm. to unravel this, this sort of prejudice that we have, that we have to find mm-hmm. an ideal expression of our 
relationships in some sort of architectural form. Mm-hmm. Would that, would that yeah. be fair? Yeah, and I would I, say I, that because I would say that the, the home is a set of relations. And so through this nomadic process of visiting these houses, we build a home through the relations that we establish with ourselves and the people we are working with and with these spirits mm-hmm. who once inhabited these spaces with whom we find kinship in their shared struggle to modernize their relationships. And I think that is very much a queer project mm-hmm. um, with a, in the sense that there's an investment, there's an erotic relationship with the dead. <laughs> you know, that the dead are always near. That, that we love Philip and we love Edith and we even love Mies. I mean, Mies is easy to love, but yeah. <laughs> so Eros and Thanatos are yeah, related. Absolutely. I, there's a lot of psychic energy, and I think that isn't that what a home is. I mean, a home is a set of relations. Maybe home and family are very close. Mm-hmm. It's, so you said you're building a home. Mm-hmm. What do you mean? Mm-hmm. I think what I mean is that you cannot own your house. Mm-hmm. You can maybe not even have a house. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that you can survive very long without a home. Mm-hmm. And because that home is that space that, that we all need to go to to rebuild ourselves and maybe undo ourselves and rebuild ourselves. And I really think that that is... As I'm saying it, I'm realizing that I really think home and family are quite interchangeable terms, but maybe family is so charged around the intergenerational and the biological reproduction that it's hard to to use that term. But I think we're building this home through the practice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And if you could reconsider a home not as a structure and not necessarily located in a space definitely not as like a series of rooms leading to the master bedroom <laughs> but like not even walls and, and floors and, and a ceiling but a set of relations mm-hmm. then we are building a home and maybe mm-hmm. that's what it is that we're focused on building right now or testing or experimenting with and maybe one day there might be a structure that could house this. Well, we can't deny those material realities yeah, exactly. of shelter yeah. either. Right. But yeah, no, I think about this, I mean, Jorge, what you're saying about this idea of giving up, letting go of this idea of the ideal home, the dream home, I mean, that is such a trap. I mean, it's a huge boon for real estate companies and, and maybe even for architects, right? Um, but it is, it, it's, a, it's a real trap, right, to, to, to have this ideal. And I think it also... It also relates to the other trap of like living this ideal life or having these ideal types of relationships or like, and this is interesting because these are conversations I have with a lot of my female identified friends, even those who might be straight or heterosexual, this idea that they have to have a child by a certain point in time and like these ideals aren't working for us. They're actually imprisoning our consciousness from imagining new forms of relationality mm-hmm. and it's so it's not only giving up on the home but it's also giving up on, on on these ideals of what a relationship is of what a family is right 
And that's, too, yeah. That, that's such an interesting way to think about a relationship. It is about the immediacy of the relationship itself rather than living up to some sort of image of, of the relationship, mm -hmm. some sort of ideal. Right. In way. And, and in that sense, there is so much room for discovery yeah. if you're in the present somehow. Absolutely. And also that these processes, and I think it's that, that if we can view a relationship as a becoming and maybe that a relationship, I don't know who said this, but I'm taking it, is, is to sense what is becoming in the other. Mm -hmm. And that's really interesting. So that there's, there's me sensing in the other, sensing, not even knowing, sensing what is becoming in the other. You know, maybe we could say that's the definition of intimacy or something. Right. Maybe. Right. That, like, that the process is one of becoming. It is, it is, it's not fixed. And maybe it is still moving this project because it's not becoming a statue to itself or the relationship is not becoming stuck in some sort of image or representation of itself, which I think also has consequences for the psyche too, you know. Right, right. Well, it's so wonderful to hear you talk about these relationships between yourselves and these historic places as something that is influencing the mind and mm -hmm. the discovery of new forms of relationships. So I think that's certainly something that when people talk about preservation, because we have not talked about, mm -hmm. we have not mentioned the word, but I think we have been talking about preservation the whole time. Interesting. You know, when people think of historic places, they think of places where they're going to go learn about history. Mm -hmm. But here you're presenting the possibility that we might learn about our relationships to each other. And mm -hmm. that is so powerful. So thank you so much for spending the thank time. You. Thank you. This podcast was produced by Columbia GSAP in collaboration with Arc Daily. We launched a new series of podcasts called Constructing Practice, in which young architects from around the world speak about their motivations, challenges, and what it means to start a new practice in their respective context. Look for it on iTunes and find more information about the school on our website at arc.columbia.edu.